Hey, Mark. Yes. So at the end of our Raiders episode last week, we promised everyone that we'd be talking Bollywood in Claire's Corner. To, excuse me. Claire's, Claire's corner, corner today. But the only person at the table besides you and me is Mr. Lepp. Why don't you say hi to us? Good morning, day. Wow, Mr. Lepp, uh does not sound like i expected i guess that laryngitis was really messing with him (laughs) yeah his voice is much higher than people think for a six foot leopard it's a testament to the medicinal power of whiskey as we discussed last episode (laughs) how he just does constant shots of whiskey so mr lep i wanted to ask you your thoughts about the movie last week before we dive in what were your thoughts on indiana jones the kid has class taste finesse recognizes talent what do you say to that what do you say to that i mean that's impossible to argue with <laughs> i know none of those things are false you're so deep okay mr is Lep. mr lep low-key the most insightful member of this podcast oh for sure you should just look into his eyes he stares deeply into my soul every week and it's I weird he's kind tell. of flopped over this week <laughs> he is with the medicinal powers of whiskey sometimes get the best of mr lep okay uh we know you have to go mr lep so we're glad your laryngitis got better so what's bye bye mr lep we'll miss you he's gotta go uh he's got a date yeah he's meeting up with uh miss lep will does Mr. Lep really sound like he's meeting up with Miss Lep? <laughs> he's meeting up with Indiana Joan. <laughs> the fundamental misunderstanding of surnames is the best thing that's ever happened. So speaking of medicinal alcohol, there's this amazing <laughs> book that my aunt discovered a couple of years ago. And then my whole family just tore through it one week at the beach. Yeah. It's called The Ascent of Rum Doodle. It's a parody of mountain climbing novels. But it was written, like, in the 50s when all those original, like, true story mountain climbing yeah. books are being written. And one of the running jokes in it is that they have cases of medicinal champagne that they're <laughs> carrying up the mountain all the time. <laughs> and so anytime anything goes wrong, they're like, oh, well, we got to treat this with the medicinal champagne. Is this Nick and Nora Charles climbing a mountain? Eh, kind of. It's more like Michael cuts. Scott climbing a mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Anyway, so it's just you and me. We will reschedule that episode with Claire when she returns from her expedition to Mercury. So in the meantime, Is we're going to be... A reference to something that I'm not getting. It's a reference to Claire going on an expedition to Mercury, ah, yes. which is where she is. The first manned expedition to Mercury. The first womaned expedition to Mercury. Oh man, I just got schooled. Yeah. Hashtag you've been burnt. Hashtag feminism. Anyway, I, I don't know if we should use those because they might be pretty popular hashtags. We will never find them. No, the they're ones. part of our list. Hashtag it's the sound, it's the feeling. Hashtag we love the love. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. Hashtag nice skin. Hashtag foot forearm. Hashtag I've seen puss in boots. Hashtag not ghost in the shell. Hashtag B facts. Hashtag B facts. I'm definitely missing like five. Yeah. Hashtag Claire's Corner. Hashtag one Claire's... we've already mentioned. Hashtag you've been burnt. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> Um, anyway, just to give us, like, a normal-style opening, okay. what do you think of kickboxing? Uh, Will, it's the sport of the future. It is the sport of the future. As it is the future that this movie has posited, we're all constantly talking about kickboxing, right? We are right now. That's evidence right there. You turn on the TV, you go, football, baseball, kickboxing, basketball, it's unavoidable. Right, it's the NKA. Oh, man. Well, I know nothing about kickboxing. Me neither. Okay. But this part of the movie, the movie we're talking about is Say Anything. We're going to say it again later because we are slaves to our format. Excuse you. Say anything. Dot, 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 dot. dot, dot. Yes, of course. This is our second dot, dot, dot movie. Um, That part of the movie Say Anything is based on a real person that Cameron Crowe knows. Well, knew. So when Crowe was living in Los Angeles, as he did, there's one day he got a knock on his door And at his door was this kid named Lowell Marchant. He was 19 years old. He had just moved from Arkansas to LA. And according to this piece in the LA Times, Lowell Marchant introduced himself by saying, It's a pleasure to be here in California. I'm a kickboxer. Do you know about kickboxing? It's the sport of the future. And I love that enthusiasm like knocking on random strangers doors and just saying i am here to deliver to you the truth and the truth is kickboxing and kickboxing will set you free i wonder if it's as culty as improv do you think there's different levels of kickboxing i I mean there's like belts of kickboxing it's a martial art actually fun fact about that john cusack stuck with kickboxing after this movie he had never done it before but 
he is now a black belt in kickboxing. Do they actually have like belts like that? That feels very much. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think of it as like a martial art as much as boxing, but boxing, with feet. but with feet. Anyway, John Cusack, black belt in the sport of the future. If that's not the sport of the future, Mark, what is the sport of the future? Is as we all know. I'm clearly not stalling for time to think of an answer. Mark can't name any sports. Uh, excuse you. You asked for the sport of the future. Clearly, I only know the sports of the past. Okay, then what's the sport of the past? I mean, cricket's been long over in the U.S. Polo, sport of the past. Um, the sport of the future will be hover car bumper Polo? cars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and of course, that will be sponsored. All of the, like, ads, like for NASCAR, all the ads on the car will be for Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future. <laughs> that ice cream has been the ice cream of the future for so long. It still exists. It still works. It was the ice cream of the future of 2004 when I, like, discovered it. It's still there today. That proves it made it to the future. Do you like Dippin' Dots? I kind of do. I don't think it's good. But I do kind of like it. I think that is the best way I've ever heard Dippin' Dots described. Sean Spicer, the former White House press secretary and agent of darkness, used to tweet aggressively at the Dippin' Dots account at least once a year. Just like harassing them, being like, Dippin' Dots said we were the ice cream. Excuse me. Dippin' Dots said we were the ice cream of the future. But what are you doing now, Dippin' Dots? Nobody cares about you. Neither of those sounded like Sean Spicer. (laughs) You need to work on your impressions, Will. I don't think I do. I think that sounds like Sean Spicer feels to me. And that's what I'm going for. It's Uh, truthiness as impression. It's his impression on you. Ooh, I see what you did there. You're too fancy for this show. (laughs) Guys, catch me next week on Being Fancy with Mark and the nicer nicer things society from The Office. Hashtag Being Fancy. Hashtag Being Fancy. I realized I haven't been saying hashtags recently, so I gotta bring them back. Yeah, this episode will have about 20 just to keep up with our normal pace. Yeah, this episode also brought to you by Square Apron, the all-in-one platform for building delicious websites right in the comfort of your own home. Did you buy this square apron domain yet no but i'm still thinking about it (laughs) i kind of think we should i think it would be really funny okay we'll do it all right anyway it is time for heart of podness yes yes i'm mark and i'm gay and i'm will and i'm a ginger and this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question does hollywood romance actually make any sense and another age-old question will elon musk ever be a guest on our podcast (laughs) we got this email from like a podcast search engine today, trying to explain to us why we might want to use their things. And one of them was like, look up past episodes your guests have appeared on so you can listen to them, like Elon Musk. <laughs> like, right, okay, Elon Musk is going to be on this show. We would feed him to Mr. Lep. He's a monster. Yeah, indeed. Free Grimes. Do you know who Grimes is, I well? do not. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But... I know who Mr. Lep is. He's out on a date, though. Yeah, I'm not letting him. He's long gone. But the real question we're searching for the answer to is, are these people actually dateable? Or are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And as we said this week, we had to shuffle some things around, so we resorted to my ever-growing stack of rom-com DVDs. It's like getting kind of out of control, Mark. Yeah, I... I think we need to have an intervention, but we'll save that for when Mr. Lep is back and we're off the air. Okay, you shouldn't tell me not to spend money on dumb stuff for the show right after you told me to buy squareapron.com. That's fair. Anyway, for this week, as we said, we're going with 1989's Say Anything, dot dot dot, written and directed by Cameron Crowe. This movie actually was given to me by friend of the show and member of our trivia team, my cousin Rachel. Yeah, I'd never seen it before we watched it for this. Neither had I. As with most of these classic rom-coms, I'm discovering them for the first time. Which is fun. It's part of the experience of the whole show. Yeah. So, to be honest, what I'd mostly heard about it beforehand is that it was one of those movies that was very problematic. Yeah, that didn't age well. That didn't age well. But I will say, this is probably the one I've seen that's the least like that. Yeah, I kind of feel like I need to watch it again because I had heard that too. And so I spent a decent chunk of the movie like stealing myself yeah. for when it turned. And then I realized it wasn't really going to. And I was like, oh, well, this has been charming then. <laughs> yeah, it's it was much less so. I mean, while it was a entirely white movie except for the principal. At least they didn't have a character named Long Duck Dong or whatever his name is. And I don't know, I thought it would be much creepier, but it was essentially just he would call her after they broke up. Which is not ideal. It's definitely not ideal. And we'll talk about that, but it certainly is not 
going to the levels that I feared. Yeah. And so it's, I actually wound up liking it. Yeah, it's certainly not someone breaking into your bedroom while you're sleeping, like in Twilight, which was <laughs> made like 10 years ago. Wow, it's been 10 years since Twilight. Actually, I have no idea. Let's play the Google game. So while you're looking that up, one of the kind of funny things about this movie is how much a lot of the people involved didn't necessarily want to do the jobs they had. So like Cameron Crowe wrote this movie and he had written two movies previously, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and The Wild Life. And both of those movies are based on the book of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which Crowe also wrote. And so Say Anything was him writing another script and it was not his intention to direct it. But they talked to a bunch of directors. They couldn't lock them down. One director who was on the phone kept turning away from the phone call to shout at a Lakers game. Ah, yes. The sport of the future. So at that point, James L. Brooks who was producing it said you know what you care about this story you should just direct it and so crow sort of fell into this as his directorial debut and by the same token john cusack did not want to be in this movie because as he put it to cameron crow he had already graduated from high school like six times he was like 22 or 23 when they shot it and he didn't want to go back and do that all over again but he was actually convinced to take the role by john mahoney who plays diane's dad right and both of them were involved in the chicago theater scene and mahoney was getting on board and told John Cusack, no, you really should read this script. You really should be in this movie. Uh, as a side note, I looked it up and I feel simultaneously very proud and very confused because Twilight came out exactly 10 years ago. Ooh. November 2008. So I'm very much like, how did I actually know that? That's impressive. Yeah. You know, November 2018, we'll be right around one year of this show. Maybe we do some uh, 10-year Twilight retrospective. Oh, yes. Hold on. I have the exact date. Oh, great. November 21st, 2008. Boom. If we remember, which there's a decent chance we will totally forget. 50-50. 50-50. We might be bringing you an episode about Twilight. Hashtag Twilight at 10. But yeah, so this movie, you could tell that there was heart in the film. For sure. And also, the Frasieriest movie we've watched for this Isn't podcast. <laughs> we already mentioned John Mahoney has a big role. He's awesome in this. He's really good. He is so good. Are you saying he's not good in Frasier? Is no, that why I'm you sound surprised? I did not know he was in this movie. Yeah. And then I saw him and I was like, okay, whatever parent character he's the third lead of this movie oh for sure and he's incredible in it yeah he's really good and then bb newearth also makes a brief appearance very briefly a very strange appearance a very strange appearance that we will discuss when we get to that scene because boy do i have a lot of thoughts we actually have a lot to talk about for this movie so i want to move this episode ahead right. as much as we can just quick notes the movie opened april 14th 1989 it actually just kind of performed okay in its initial release yeah, it made $21 million at the time. So again, like fine performance, not astonishing anybody like other movies from 89 that we've looked at, like When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. It actually opened at number three behind Major League and the Dream Team. So that's kind of it. It had a nice little run, but since then has acquired this reputation as one of the all-time great teen movies. Right. We saw it referenced when we watched Easy A. And it's one of those things that is very iconic, even for people like us until recently who have not seen the movie. Right. I mean, I'd never seen it, but obviously almost any random Joe on the street could tell you about the boombox over the head. And it's because of that iconic element that it has persisted, not just as something that people reference and stuff, but actually in 2014, NBC started developing a TV version of it. But it wasn't like a TV adaptation of the movie. Yeah. It was like in the future with the characters 10 years later. And like they had since broken up and Lloyd is back in Seattle and Diane moves back to town and they like kind of reconnect and what's going to happen. And the producers dropped it within 20 24 hours of its announcement because Crow and Cusack were annoyed that NBC and 20th Century Fox were doing it without telling them. And so they convinced them to not do it anymore. That's so weird that they just wouldn't ask Cameron Crow. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to the way that rights work. Right. I know they don't strange. have to, but it's still like a courtesy call would have been nice. And that's kind of what Crow said. He's like, I'm not wholly opposed to the idea, but what are you doing? Yeah. And in 2015, around the time Aloha was coming out. Ah, Aloha. Aloha. It's the sky. <laughs> Oh um, my god. Crow told Film School Rejects that he actually was considering another movie about Lloyd in his 40s. Not necessarily bringing back any other characters, but just using that character to tell other stories. Will it be about how kickboxing is the sport of the future? I hope so. Can it... you imagine if it was a movie 30 years later and Lloyd is like the king of kick? Boxing. That would be incredible. It would be Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2 coming In out. Incredibles soon? 2, King of Kickboxing. What if Lloyd was the villain in Incredibles 2? That would be amazing. And he just went around kicking people. He had no superpowers. Or just jo uh, John Cusack voicing a kickboxing villain. Yeah. 
Like, no superpowers. He would just go around kicking strangers on the street in the face, but somehow always avoided capture. That would fit so well in, like, a 70s comic book. In, like, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu or something. Does Cameron Crowe have another movie coming out? It's been a while. He has not released a movie since Aloha, which was three years ago. Yeah. He created Roadies, the TV show for Showtime. Ran for one season. Uh, There is nothing else on his Wikipedia page. Okay. So, that is what I know. We have no idea what's coming next for Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe, Mystery Future. He's the kind of guy, he had some big hits early on. I mean, he did this, he did Jerry Maguire, he did Almost Famous. He built a zoo. He did uh, build a zoo. He that's bought a zoo. That's less of a hit. Uh, you mean- We've already talked about my- Oh, your experience. My faux pas mixing up We Bought a Zoo and Zookeeper, another movie we're 100% covering in the future. I'm surprised you haven't even put that on our docket yet. There's a part of me that wishes I could somehow surprise you with the movies, like start an episode and be like, this is what we're talking about, just to hear you get really- mad but there's no way to do that logistically i mean i guess you could surprise me at the end of every episode what movie we're doing next that would be fun but then i wouldn't then we wouldn't have any mark picks which i would be sad about yeah or maybe we could alternate at the end of an episode ah yeah what if we don't tell each other what movie we're picking next this would be exciting then we wouldn't be able to post this stuff on social media unless we recorded well in advance which uh, probably not gonna happen This sounds like a great idea for a podcast that is a little bit more organized than we are. Or just at our kitchen table with a memory of Mr. Lep in the empty chair. Sounds like Tiny Tim. I know. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I think we should probably start talking about the points. All right, let's talk. Say anything. Dot, dot, dot. So point number one, it's graduation day. So John Cusack does have to graduate again, but it's right at the start of the movie. Yeah. I don't know. Can you think of another movie that opens with graduation? Uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which this will not be the last time I reference that in this episode. But not a sequel, though, because a sequel, it makes more sense than starting up a new teen movie right on graduation. I mean, there must be examples. Probably. Tweet them at us. Yeah. Hashtag facts. But it sets the movie up in an interesting way. Yeah, for sure. Because this is a movie about transitions. Right. It's a movie about what happens when you hit a point in your life and you need to decide what's next. Right. And graduation is a really great tool for that, especially in this window for these people, because they have these real options or, well, Diane has options and Lloyd has a total absence of options, which for the two of them kind of wind up converging. Yes, Diane's options, the generic fellowship in england yeah as one does i just loved the references they never went into any specifics about what it's in what it's for what she's doing what's well, kind of where that, in england i mean presumably london yeah but it's kind of implied that it's a non-specific fellowship it's like go to college it's paid for yeah and it's heavily suggested at graduation because diane is her class's graduation speaker she's been top of her class for ages she's been taking classes over the summer she's been doing stuff at the community college so she is just flying high above everyone else she is the valedictorian right so she's giving the speech and when she's introduced the principal is describing all of the different fields in which she is really strong so you get the sense that diane could do anything with her life right there are no limits on what she can do and when we find out later on that she got this fellowship it seems like wow she really can fly to wherever right her dad john mahoney is constantly like you need to tell yourself that you're special because you are and the movie definitely believes that too Right. And one thing I found interesting about this movie is that it wasn't a can't buy me love situation where a kind of nerdy guy who flies under the radar is looking for the popular girl. It's a guy with no ambition falling in love with the smart girl who is known as just being the smart girl. It's not like she's popular, unapproachable because she's cool. She's just too smart for everyone. And she's also so busy focusing on school. She also works at the nursing home that her dad runs. And her time is so consumed with these things that she doesn't really know anybody in her class. She talks about as she's leaving graduation with her dad, like, none of those people there actually know me. Right. And so there's a sense that she was the speaker for this class that she can't really speak for. Yeah, she missed out on a lot of what we're told high school is supposed to be. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, we have John Cusack, who plays Lloyd Dobler, which is a great name. Yeah. Like, that's a magnificent name. That's one of Cameron Crowe's real strengths, is naming people. You think your lead's like, you're Lloyd Dobler, you're Jerry Maguire, you're Captain Aloha, which I assume is the name of the lead in that movie. I have uh, not yes. seen it. Who's in that movie? Is it uh, Bradley Cooper? Yeah, it's Bradley Cooper. And then the classic... And then Emma Stone the is a classic cast, yes. Emma Stone is a half-white quarter Chinese, quarter Native Hawaiian with a Vietnamese last name, I believe. Yeah. You know. That old story. So Lloyd, from the start of the movie, is talking about how he's in love with Diane Court. 
And his friends tell him immediately, like, that's ridiculous. Diane Cord is a brain. She's not going to date someone like you. Smart people only date smart people. Right. Which is the challenge that, like, in When Harry Met Sally, the challenge to romance is men and women can never be friends. In this movie, the challenge is smart people only date smart people. And this movie actually goes against that theory because Lloyd only has female friends. Right. Which is fun and it's different. It is very different. It's different from a lot of movies that would have been made at this time. Right. He only has three female friends that we see him hanging out with one of whom is so into her ex and the other two they never really show anything where i kind of assumed that there would be a love triangle element because he had female friends and it there never is right he's just able to have female friends without it being a thing I was I really, really into it, yeah. yeah. By the way, those other female friends are played by James L. Brooks's daughter. Okay. And Pamela Adlin. Who's that? She was one of the main writers on the show Louie, and she now has her own show, Better Things, on FX, which is awesome. It's about being a mom. It's oh, super funny. Cool. So this is an early role for her. So Lloyd is saying that he's going to do this. He's going to take Diane on a second date, and there's a whole debate about whether or not what he claims is the first date actually counts as a date because he says they ate together at the mall which then becomes they sat across from each other yeah i don't think either of them was talking to each other at all i don't know i mean when it comes up later diane does not seem to remember it yeah and based on the picture that he takes with her at graduation at graduation after graduation he gets his friends he's like take a picture of me with her and they're like no it's weird and i was like what you just walk up to somebody say like hey let's take a picture but that's not what he does no he it's like the original photo bomb except it's his photo yeah so so he gets his friend to take a picture as he walks quickly behind her as she's so like he's like reaching out straight at the camera yeah looking straight at the camera and then they just take this really creepy picture so based off that experience i would firmly believe that their first date that he says is them sitting at two separate tables at the mall food court i believe it so yeah. lloyd is just like such a goober yeah and he he doesn't really fit into like any of the stereotypical teen movie groups no. He's just like a guy. Right. Like, the kind of guy, everybody like kind of knows him. Nobody dislikes him, but nobody's super close to him either, except for these three girls that he's friends with. I guess the closest thing I can think of is the like musicians, but right, not like he's band not a members. Musician. They show him playing guitar at one point, but that's the only thing I can think of is they're supposed to be the cool music nerds, I guess. But I think that's more about their friend that is processing a bad breakup through music than anything. So yeah, you're right that he doesn't have a click. So, like we said, we've got the graduation. We get a little right. bit of a sense they're different characters just by the way they get there. Diane gets there, driven in the car by her dad. They're talking about the speech she's going to be giving, which he's super into because he's super into everything she does. He's a very supportive father. He's a super supportive father. This performance by John Mahoney is incredible. I think it might be the best one in the movie. I think so. Yeah, he's awesome in it. But then Lloyd, on the other hand, drives himself to graduation. Like, to take a picture for graduation day, he sets up a camera on a self-timer, then runs around in front of it, takes a picture at the car, wearing his graduation robes, which honestly look a lot like his normal outfit, because he's normally wearing this, like, trench coat. Right. I was just like, wait, is he wearing a cape? Because he never zips it, and he doesn't wear his hat. That was a John Cusack thing. He was like, Lloyd's not the kind of person who would wear a hat. He got into arguments with Crow a lot. Not like angry arguments, just like Cusack had a very strong sense of what kind of things Lloyd would do and fought very hard on them. We'll talk about some of those more later because it led to some, not tension, but like, yeah, some debates on set. Yeah. So they have the graduation. Diane gives a speech. There's a shot that I love of all the parents in the audience at graduation holding their giant camcorders. Yeah, I saw that and was just like, ah, things never actually change. Just the it's technology. It's a lovely 1989 touch. Yeah. yeah. Instead of all holding up their iPads. Oh my god. Parents filming things on iPads is one of the funniest things. It's also a menace. Yeah, indeed. So from there, what happens is that night, Lloyd is like, all right, time to go. Time to ask out Diane Court. Right. And so he calls her at her home and her dad picks up and he says that she's not there and first off he's trying to figure out who he is he goes like oh are you the guy with the mustang are you the guy with the truck just rolling through all these vehicles right which is so deflating because what we've gotten earlier is this sense that like diane's not seeing any of guys and i still don't think she really is no i don't think so and i don't think that the guys in those cars are necessarily people dating diane that's just kind of maybe how he's defining them oh no i think that's totally it because one of his things is that he's very conscious
conscious of status and of opportunity. Yeah. His whole life is structured around making sure Diane never has to worry about anything. Right. Which is what, we won't really get into this, but his whole plotline is built around the fact that he's been embezzling money from the people who live in his nursing home. And he has this total sense that everything he does is justified. Everything he does is okay because he's still giving those people a decent life. And more importantly, he's creating security for Diane. Right. And so he admits that what he did was illegal, but he never admits it was wrong. No, he stands by it because he firmly believes that everything is justified if he's doing it for his daughter. Because she is so special and can be anything. Right. And where that's where, like, even with Lloyd, when he starts to turn on the idea of Diane being with Lloyd, it's not because he really, like, is mean or doesn't like Lloyd or whatever. It's because he's worried that he's a distraction to Diane becoming whatever. Right. And he doesn't want... As he later describes him, he doesn't want a free rider, someone like riding Diane's coattails to success. Exactly. Also, he doesn't want them to break up because they have sex. He's kind of just okay with that as long as she's not distracted. Right, exactly. So John Mahoney offers to take Lloyd's number. Lloyd gives it to him three times. Yeah. It's clearly just like a little bit more than is necessary because Lloyd is determined to make sure it gets through. Right. He's very excited. It's a very high school thing that like there's this girl he has maybe talked to once but is just so infatuated with and so enamored of. And he has some major confidence to be able to just call her out of the blue and ask her out. Because to him it just makes sense like oh yeah of course she should go out with me. We hung out that one time in the mall. Yeah. They already are dating according to him. Yeah. So at this point they find out that Diane has has gotten the fellowship she'll be headed off to the uk to study and when she gets home then she finds that there are three guys three notes written down with names and phone numbers that her dad has taken down and so she takes that and she calls lloyd right he's trying to ask her out but she's before that she mentions she does not remember the mall thing oh yeah i forgot about that part and his response is well it's lloyd and let's go out yeah which is an amazing line so he is just doing the general like do you want to do this do you want to do this and she's just like can't 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 i'm so busy and he gets eventually so frustrated he's just like well let's just go out tonight she's been like trying to be like oh no you know like thank you very much but no yeah and he's really pushing like he wants to get a firm commitment it reminded me of when i used to work on political campaigns and like you needed somebody to give you a date they were gonna volunteer right and so he's like thursday no friday no today and with today specifically what he's saying is there's this big party gets thrown at the end of every year it's a great time you should go everybody from the class will be there and i think that's part of what gets her in is feeling like she doesn't know anybody in the class and this is an opportunity here at the end to do that right and it's much less committal because it's a party so they don't have to just sit and talk to each other the whole time Right, you can wander around talk to lots of people right we get the sense she has not been to many parties and also they show up and it's one of those classic high school parties that i can't believe ever really exist like million people everyone in the class in this beautiful house drinking gallons of alcohol going in the pool but even before they get there there's a sign that she's maybe not on board he shows up at her house he talks a mile a minute at her dad because lloyd is a word vomiter oh for sure (laughs) that's when he explains that he lived overseas for a few months he's an athlete so he doesn't drink and that his sport is kickboxing have you heard of kickboxing it's the sport of the future ah yes hashtag king of kick as we all know kickboxing has come to dominate our lives in every way I mean, I'm kickboxing just about every day. Yeah, Will is, you know, super into kickboxing and sports. I'm very athletic. Yeah, all of that stuff. So even then, as soon as they get in the car, Diane asks if it'll be bad if she wants to go home early. And he says no. Yeah, you know, the respectful thing to say. Right, exactly. (laughs) But also, like, you know, she's wearing this beautiful white dress. Like, she's dressed for, like, a nice kind of party. Yeah, And then she arrives and there's a sense of like, oh, this is the like animal house party. Yeah, this is not what she's dressed for, for sure. And then Lloyd quickly is assigned to be the key master, which means that he's in charge of meeting up with the gatekeeper and summoning the demons to take over New York City. Oh, right. He has to quickly have sex with the gatekeeper. They release a glam 80s rocker slash Babylonian demon, all that stuff. Happens on the side really quick, like three minutes. This movie came out after Ghostbusters, so... Keymaster is a phrase that should have been in the water. I think it was probably in the water before Ghostbusters, though. I don't know. But what it actually means is he collects everyone's car keys and determines who's too drunk to drive. Because the idea that, you know, being a little drunk, you're perfectly fine. Cops pull you over. They smell alcohol in your breath. They're like, just... Be careful. There is a sense of responsibility, though, in that this party has an established mechanism to make sure people who are too drunk don't drive home. 
Right. I thought that was like, a, I appreciated that. Yeah, it's better than not having anything, but it's still just like, the idea of teenagers driving to parties where there is alcohol terrifies me more than anything totally. else. Yeah. Speaking of that, at the end of the party, there is a student who is literally jumping on Lloyd, trying to get his keys. And Lloyd has to shout, you must chill! Yeah. <laughs> Played by Jeremy Piven, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, of course. Another Chicago actor. The keys were hidden, also. He yeah. did not drive home. Thank God. Even fictionally. Yeah. So then at the party, they're kind of like off in their separate ways. She's pulled away from him very early on. Yeah, everyone's astonished to see her there and excited to see her there. Yeah, it's very interesting. Everyone seems very into the idea of these two people who Cause aren't just like really friendly people. Involved. Nobody dislikes them. Right. So they come, people are talking to him. He hangs out with his friends a little bit. He gets Joe to stay away when he starts creeping in. Right. Ah, Joe is the, Joe's the worst. worst character in this movie. Solid performance. Yeah. Terrible character. Yeah. Oh, um, pissed me off so much. There is a funny conversation where somebody comes up to Lloyd and asks how he got Diane Court to go out with him. And he's like, well, I, I called her. Yeah, that's the character I did not understand at all. What was his thing? He's just a, like, stoner guy at the party. Yeah, but then he just goes to the bathroom, psychs himself up, and drinks himself sick. Yeah, he drinks himself. Right, because when Lloyd says, I asked her, he's like, wow, this gives me hope. Yeah. But then he goes to the bathroom to get pumped up and he drinks himself so sick that he's collapsed in the bathroom and at the end of the party diane and lloyd have to drive him home but he doesn't remember where he lives so they're driving all through seattle yeah one thing i found interesting is this movie is set in seattle and there's not a single shot of the space needle i That's didn't because see... it's in space well i have some news for you it's not actually in space it's not anymore it landed. The Space Needle used to be in space, and then it landed in Seattle. Okay. Is this a bit you're going to commit to? Reality? Yeah, that's the bit I'm going to commit to. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. But I had to look it up because I wasn't sure, but it was definitely in place by the time this movie was made. So I found it interesting because that's the defining thing. Also, let's point out this Frasier-y movie also set in Seattle. Oh, true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, me neither until this exact moment. Yeah, but so throughout the party, they're not hanging out a ton. Lloyd, like, from across the party will, like, give a look to, like, check in, kind of, you still okay? Yeah. They play a lot with the fact that John Cusack is a tall guy. He's six foot two, but he towers over everyone at this party. Clearly aided in some scenes. Oh, for sure. But it's kind of funny. Yeah. He's just kind of lurking in the background sometimes. He's got kind of a weird body at this point in his life. Yeah. It's like, he's very tall, but his face looks like an eight-year-old. Yeah. Very slim, too. Which is not helped by those long coats that he wears all the time, which makes no. him just look longer. Yeah, it's very interesting. He does not dress for his body type that much. Right, but part of the idea, again, is that Lloyd is this, like, kind of off guy. Not in a bad way. He's just odd. There's something different about Lloyd, and it's hard to put your finger on what it is. And it's not a bad thing. No. So, at the party, like I said, Lloyd's thing is he just says Diane went out with him because he asked. When Diane is asked what she's doing with Lloyd, her thing is like, well, he made me laugh. He called me up, made me laugh. Here we are. It's very much like... Both of them have the opinion that I kind of fall into, which is first dates, eh, you can kind of, yeah, just do it. Like, what's the harm? So they're very much both just kind of on this first date or second, according to Lloyd. Depending on who you ask. Depending on who you ask. Yeah, so it's worth noting, by the time they're leaving, Diane definitely seems like she's had a good time. Yeah. She's smiling. She is definitely uh, happy that they're headed back. And they manage to drop off the drunk guy. And Lloyd is walking her back home. He steers her around a broken glass on the street. Saying like, oh, don't step on that glass. Kicks it out of the way. And they get her back home. In the morning. Yes, in the morning. I would wager like 6 a.m. at the the, latest. I mean, the biggest reason they've been out all night is they were driving the streets of Seattle getting that guy home. Right. But my point is her dad is not freaked out by that well she called home she did call home but it feels very strange for an 80s movie to walk in with the sun up and the dad's just like oh glad you're safe and i mean that's the thing about this relationship is diane and her dad are so close the whole basis of their relationship we're told twice is that either of them can say anything to the other right that's a weird thing too that the title comes not from the romantic relationship but from diane's relationship with her dad which i'd say the movie is equally if not more interested in movies interested in both it's a weird thing with cameron crowe movies where they have like seven acts 
Yeah, so it could end at any number of places in the movie, but that's because it's more about, like, just this chunk of their lives. Right. There were so many very rapid scenes in this movie that I almost felt like this whole movie was an episode of Montauk. Yeah, a little bit. But it's also, like, that's kind of particularly high school life, where you're focused on this one thing, and it might be kind of hormonal or whatever, but there's other life going around that, like, sometimes pierces into your bubble. Right. But at other times, it's happening, and so, like, the dad is on the side dealing with this IRS nonsense, and Diane's not even aware of it because she's focused on like hanging out with Lloyd. Right. Oh, before we move on from the party, we forgot about the weirdest part of it. Is it when the career counselor shows up? Yeah. Why is the career counselor at this party, Will? She drives to the party to tell Lloyd, you've got to decide what you're doing with your future. This is out of control. Yeah. This is where B.B. Newworth shows up. She drives up to this party, which the school knew alcohol would be at because when the guy invites everyone at the graduation, he says there will be eight kegs and no one bats an eye. Yeah. So she shows up at this party. Does she stay? Like, is she there to join the party? Or is she just there to yell at one student for not setting up a career counseling appointment? She wants him to go to junior college. She's like, Lloyd, you're a good dude. You can have a future. You currently have no plan. And he just says he's looking for something bigger. Yeah, he's got his heart set on becoming the world's best kickboxer. A truly obtainable goal. And then that actually ties in nicely because then when he's taking Diane home, she says, you're a great date. I've never really gone out with someone as basic as you. (laughs) Great. Which is great, especially now with basic having actually a meaning. Right. It was very funny to hear her just go, oh, you're so basic. And then she asks what he's going to be doing that summer. And his response is being a great date. Yeah. That's what Lloyd wants to do. There's a parallel at the end of the movie then when Lloyd tells the dad, he's like, what I want to do with my life is be with your daughter. I think I'm really good at it. It's essentially that Lloyd wants to basically be a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. He could be Mr. Mom. He could. He could be Mr. Mom. And it's really interesting because everyone's so thrown off by this guy who doesn't have any ambition except to like truly love the woman he's with and support her in all of her potential. And everyone's so thrown off. But if, you know, as soon as you swap the genders, it's just the idealized version of life. So Diane goes in, she's talking to her dad, she says she had a great time at the party, she met all these people, Lloyd was a gentleman. It's this sense again, like, she's happy with what happened, it was a nice night. Yeah. Which brings us to point number two. This is a good chunk of the movie. Them kind of dating and kind of not. And they this... never say the word dating. No, but they're existing in this space where they effectively are for a right. good chunk of the movie. Yeah, so they're just supposed to be friends, as they keep saying. They're going through their lives, but they're hanging out a lot. And, you know, at one point they even say, like, we're just friends. Let's keep it casual. And they cut immediately to them making out in the rain, essentially. Yeah, before that, the first sort of date they have beyond that is when Lloyd goes over for dinner. Oh, I forgot about the dinner scene. Yeah, it's Lloyd and Diane and her dad and, like, some of his business associates. (laughs) Her dad's accountant and two women from work. Clearly the perfect party to invite someone you've been on one date with. Right, and the class barrier there is really prevalent. Right. Where Diane and her dad live very comfortably, although it's, as we learned, at the fruits of the wealth of older people. Exactly. Whereas Lloyd lives in, like, a motel with his sister and her kid. Well, it's an apartment. An apartment. But it's like a studio apartment almost. Yeah. One bedroom. His parents are overseas. His dad's military. His dad's military, so he lives with his sister, who's a single mom. Played by Joan Cusack. His Who real is great sister. in this movie. She's always great. I know. She is. She's uncredited in this movie. She is uncredited. It's weirdly. wild. Why yeah. is she not credited? If anyone else were in that role, they would be credited. She's uncredited off of an Oscar nomination. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she is nominated for Working Girl basically right before this movie is made. So she's just in it because her brother's in it. Yeah, she was asked by her brother, I think, to basically fill in. She's awesome. She's great. I love Joan Cusack. Stay tuned for upcoming episode Adam's Family Values, which has a much larger Joan Cusack role where I will be sharing feelings. I love, she has this moment where in her scene, she's like apologizing to Lloyd that nobody in the family was at his graduation. And then with the turn of a beat, she's frustrated with him that he's getting her son all riled up. And then Lloyd is saying like, hey, remember, you used to be funny. You used to be cool. And she's like, yeah, I did used to be cool. And I say, yeah. Yeah. She's Joe been, Cusack. It's just like, she's accepted that she's a mom now and she probably has to 
calm down, but she is aware of the fact that she used to be cool. She's not yearning for those days. Meanwhile, at the party, nobody is cool, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lloyd is asked what he wants to do, and he launches into this hysterical speech where he's talking about how he doesn't know what he wants to do, but he doesn't want to sell, buy, or process anything. And he doesn't want to sell anything that's been bought or processed or buy anything that's been processed or sold or process anything that's been bought or sold or processed, which is just hysterical. Clearly, he just doesn't want to engage in capitalism. Apparently, that actually was... John Cusack like flubbing a line reading and trying to save it but Cameron Crowe really liked it that it was supposed to be much shorter that feels about right it goes on for a long time but it's funnier because it's longer yeah and that fits in with the whole Lloyd is a word vomiter kind of sense that we get every time he's in a tense situation or an emotional situation he just talks really fast yeah which is something I always enjoy yeah well you can relate I have a feeling but this is one of those scenes where it's interesting to watch from our perspective too because everyone expects these high schoolers to have everything in their life figured out everyone's just like the idea that this 18 year old might still be struggling a little bit to decide what to do with the rest of his life blows everyone's mind where now that i have been an 18 year old a while ago boy did i not know what was going on at that point in my life so yeah wow clearly i was more of a john cusack than you should write a movie about it (laughs) yeah i should guys you know a really individual experience I had was feeling a bit lost at the age of 18. Um, wow, I've never heard of any <laughs> idea like that. I'm going to be writing my memoir soon, just focused on being a confused, lost, young, white American Great. male. An so, individual perspective. Yeah, for sure. You know... Maybe it would be a little bit more accessible if you made the character straight. Is this a reference to Rise? Because that pisses me off so much. <laughs> it's not, but I, I do like that. <laughs> so from there... After the dinner, we get a, not not a montage, but a series of episodes of them hanging out. Right. Like, we see them talking on the phone. Diane is accusing him of not wanting to visit her at work because he's ageist. Yeah, they show up. They visit Bess, who is her favorite, in a scene that I expected to go on for much longer after no, the setup of thing. Bess. She's just like, oh, she's the best. She's a former writer. They walk in. Bess says, you're handsome. End of scene, essentially. And she likes you. And she likes you. But I was very much expecting Bess to give, like, her old lady wisdom and changing the world. Quick in and out. Then later on, Diane is talking about how she says she feels selfish hanging out with him sometimes because she's going to be heading off to England. Maybe she should be spending time with her dad. And also, when she is with him, sometimes she's thinking about other stuff and feels bad about that, too. And... She says she doesn't want it to get too serious because she's really busy. Yeah. The classic, I'm so busy right now, can we just keep it casual? And then it immediately becomes something way more than casual. Right. Which I think there is some validity to. Oh, 100%. She feels this attraction, but she's like, "Ah, you know, right now I'm about to be headed out of the country. I've got other stuff to do before then. I don't want to do this. But also, like, she does. She's a kid. Right. No, I know people that have basically experienced this situation. So they decide to be friends with potential. Yeah. The early friends with benefits. Well, no, because that's not what it is. It's friends with the potential to be something more. Whereas friends with benefits is a different thing. But we all know friends with benefits situations are essentially friends with potential. Yes, but I'd say- on the movie friends with benefits starring justin timberlake and mila kunis is that not no strings attached (laughs) who knows nobody knows which is which it's a secret actually they put the names of both casts on each poster (laughs) you can't tell you never know until you hit play on the dvd player right it's like puss in boots in that it's just a poster messing with you although in the case of puss in boots they made a poster and never made a movie exactly no matter what my sister says no there is no movie no one has seen puss in boots Uh, But anyway, they agree to be friends with Potential. Then that summer, he's teaching her to drive a car. And by the way, Diane, she's played by Ioni Skye. We haven't mentioned her name yet. But her facial expressions throughout the movie are awesome. Yeah. Like, it's a terrific performance. Ioni Skye does an awesome job. But especially in this car scene, I noticed the car is making all these noises as she's learning to drive stick. And she makes a different face every time the car makes a noise. And it's so funny. Yeah, it's really great. As someone who one time tried stick, boy, does it suck. I have never done it. Yeah, it's awful, so I can relate to those facial expressions. But so it's then in the car that they first kiss after they drive around a little bit. Yeah. And that's when we cut to the one true montage in this movie, which is a quick montage of them kissing in a couple different places. Right. And that ends with the two of them in the car. Right. In the backseat of the car, covered with a blanket. We know what's happening. We know what's happening. And Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes is playing. Yeah, they talk about how great it is. But then it cuts to her going home. And her dad being very upset because this is the first time she hasn't called home. Yeah, he's not upset when she says she spent the night with Lloyd. He's upset that she didn't call. Because his whole thing is, you know you can say anything. 
to me. Right. And so, he's upset that he feels like maybe she's getting away from that. Yeah. And that maybe she's not focused on achieving the massive success that she can do. Right. His fears always come boiling down to he's worried that she's doing something that'll distract her from her potential. Right. Her parents got divorced probably like five or six years ago. Yeah. And his whole life since then has focused around getting Diane to the stars. Right. So Possibly aboard the Space Needle. Yep. Which is a space station that orbited the planet Earth until it crashed down at Seattle. Perfect. Exactly what happened. That's what happened. So Diane has all this potential, but it also gets to the point where you're a little like, is he too focused on this? Like, is it getting a little obsessive? Or at least that's how I felt at times. Well, part of it also is that Lloyd doesn't really have anything else going on in his life. He's got his kickboxing and he's got Diane. Diane's got all this other stuff she's doing. Right. And no, so their I mean, investment is a little bit different, at I, least at first. I met her dad. Like, oh, her dad. Her dad oh, sorry. was too, almost too focused on his daughter. Um, oh, for sure. You know, it was getting a little to the point where it's over the top. She misses calling home one night and he's freaked out that the guy she's seeing is distracting him from her future and that she should break up with him. Well, and she gives this whole speech about the situation where she says she always remembers him pointing out the glass and walking her around it and that she never feels nervous with him and that that's one of the big appealing things and that she was really committed to them just being friends, just doing that. But she also knew that like he was more into her at first and she wanted to try to avoid it because she liked spending time with him. But then as she noticed him getting more serious, she had resolved not to, but then as she put it, she attacked him anyway. Yeah, she was trying to just hold off, be friends for the summer, but the feelings were overwhelming, but her dad was concerned about her future so he says to her she is very much pulled in these two directions yes he says to her she should end it and then to soften the blow he says let him know you still care give him this pen the pen which is so funny the idea of like oh yeah like no hard feelings have a pen yeah and she says like i would never give him a pen the wild thing is on the dvd the cursor on the menus is a pen I didn't even notice that. I was like, what is happening? But anyway, she does not give him the pen at first. He writes her a letter, a very, very simple letter, but kind of a sweet one. That's like, I'll always be there for you. You're the best. Yeah, he does act like it's the next great love letter. And it's not. It's like so simple. It is. It's kind of cute. It is cute. And the idea that he wrote it at all is very cute. But after he sends the letter, he picks her up in the car. She's gotten the letter, but she does end it. Right. She ends it, And she gives him the pen. And she gives him the pen. And it is of her own volition in a way, where she told her dad she wasn't going to end it. But then she felt so overwhelmed that she eventually did choose to end it. And that's kind of what brings us to our third point, which is Lloyd moping around town. And this really is the point where I was worried that the movie was going to take a turn that I could not accept. Right. I was worried that it was going to be really heavy on the, like, just doggedly pursuing somebody who has said no. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that. Not in a way that I felt was overwhelmingly bad, and certainly not in a way that I felt was untrue to this character. And it's very much understandable for a high schooler to feel this way, because she doesn't end it in a way either where it shows that she doesn't like him anymore. No, absolutely not. She just says, like, she can't do this right now he had actually in the car been trying to build up to saying i love you and she was like no don't he did it anyway and she's like no this isn't working like we should just be friends and his response is we are friends and she says no i think we need to spend less time together yeah she has to say it a couple of times to get through to him in part because of this ambiguous language they've been using and it's not until they get back to her house that he's like wait did you just break up with me Because it sounded like you did. Yeah. And that really wrecks him. He drives many miles, many hours. Talking into a recorder to his friend Corey. So even before that, like that first night, he's like driving long ways. He calls his sister from a phone booth. Oh, yeah. To be like, I don't even know what I'm doing. It's in the pouring rain. There's a lot of dramatic rain in this movie. There's a lot of dramatic rain in this movie. A lot of it. But then probably the most unsettling part of it for me was when he's driving around in the rain, talking into this tape recorder as he like drives past places where he and Diane spent time. It reminded me of Sam Bick, who was this guy in 1974. He decided that he was going to kill Richard Nixon. Okay. And one of the things he did was, this is not unrelated to the killing Nixon thing, but he would like record himself talking into tapes to famous people and then mail them to them, trying to get them to talk back to him. And they never did. Yeah. Anyway, he tried to hijack a plane to fly into the White House to kill Nixon. He was killed in the process. But I was like, wow, this is kind of a Sam Bick thing, recording these tapes. Yeah. But he's just at a complete loss. He has no idea what to do to himself. One of the things he comes up with is like, well, maybe the problem is I'm friends with girls and I should be friends with guys. They like, may that would be make too more soft. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing being friends with girls. I should be friends with guys. So he decides to go and see what the guys are doing, which yeah. is kind of a funny scene. It is. My favorite moment in that scene is when one of the guys says to him, 
like, Diane was a show pony. You need a stallion. And I was like, are you coming on to Lloyd there? Oh, my favorite part of that scene was towards the end of it, where the guys are in the background rapping about Lloyd. Oh, yeah. The Lloyd Dobler rap. It's on the soundtrack. I know. I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah. But in that scene, like, there's one guy who's like, oh, just find a girl who looks just like her and have sex with her and then you'll be fine. And there's another person who's like, look, I can set you up with any girl in Seattle. Just give me the name. And his response is Diane Court. That's all he wants. And his reaction to them is essentially just like, if you guys know so much about women, why are you here alone on a Saturday night? It's by choice, man. Yeah, clearly not. And so then he drives away and goes back to his true friends, Corey and the other ones. The other ones. (laughs) DC and I don't know what the other one's name is. And then this is where we get a voicemail. He's been calling Diane's house. We see him talking into the answering machine. He says, this is my eighth and final call. I'm going to give you another chance. (laughs) Yeah. And Diane is telling her dad she's not going to pick it up because then they would get back together. And Lloyd over the phone is like, you know what? You don't have to pick up. Just destroy the letter because it hurts me to know it's out there. And at that, she picks up the phone to answer, knowing, having said, they would get back together. But by then, he's already hung up. Right. And the next thing we get is the most famous scene in the movie, which is the boombox scene. Right. Which, the scene was not what I expected. No, I also thought that she would talk to him because it was so famous. I assumed there would be some resolution. I assumed it was the resolution that he plays In Your Eyes, the song they had sex to, on the stereo. And she's like, oh yes, Lloyd, let's be together again. But no, she sleeps, or not sleeps, but she stays in bed through the whole thing. She never even says anything to him. So which then I was like, oh, maybe he's going to do this every night until she talks to him, which would have been too much. That would be creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Quick notes on that, actually. That was one of the big scene that was a sticking point for John Cusack, because he didn't want Lloyd to seem too subservient. And he was like, Lloyd's really into her, but he's not, like, beneath her. And so they had to do a ton of takes of it. It was the last scene of the last day of shooting. And they just had to do a ton of it because John Cusack just wasn't really getting to the level they needed. Like, some of it, he's, like, holding up the boombox with one hand. Some of it, he's chewing gum. He was playing some of his favorite music on the boombox. Yeah. Most of the time, he's playing Turn the Other Way by Fishbone with the idea that they would just, like, replace the music in post. Yeah. But it wasn't until the final take that they got the one they used in the movie. That's crazy. And none of those other things make sense. No, they don't. This is not a subservient thing. This is a, like, it's supposed to be the romantic gesture. And that's, that's like, dumb. what Cameron Crowe had to convince John Cusack of. And that's part of where Cusack was, and kind of is in a way, still, if you look at the way he was talking when they were talking about making the TV show, so yeah. protective of this character. He didn't want anything that would possibly reduce him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So that then takes us to our fourth point. Right. Just Diane's return. So by this point in the middle, in between these two things, Diane has found out that her dad was stealing money from old people. Yeah. And he's been investigated by the IRS and he's going to go to jail. Yes. He insists that, well, first he lies to her. She finds out that he was actually doing this. She finds out he's guilty, goes to confront him and uses that line. She says, you know, you can say anything to me. I need you to tell me the truth. And he lies. Yeah. And that's when she flees and she runs back to Lloyd, who is at the dojo, doing some kickboxing. Is this when he's teaching the class? No, that's no, the first. No, he's in a that's fight. The call. Yeah, so he's in a fight at this point. And when she walks in, he's thrown off and gets punched in the face. Yeah, so he's got a bloody nose through the rest of the scene. But they talk in the corner. Yeah, the she room. says she's sorry. Her dad's guilty. She's just left home and she needs him. Yeah, and he asks, are you here because you need somewhere, or are you here because you need me? And his response is, forget it, I don't care, and he kisses her. And then she does answer the question and says, I'm here because I need you. And it's very cute. And it is very kiss. cute. There's an alternate version of that scene on the DVD that takes place outside that I kind of think is a little bit better, where she starts off by saying she needs him. He blows past it, is like telling her, stay connected with your dad, like, you should still be in touch with him, and then circles back to, do you need someone or do you need me? I kind of like that version a little bit better. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine what they were doing when they were walking out. (laughs) Yeah. And so then it cuts to them back at... Lloyd's place. Lloyd's place. And the two of them are in a twin bed, which always is very uncomfortable. Two people cannot share a twin bed. No, it's got to be hotter than it is in this room right now. Oh, yeah. I turned off the air conditioning because of noise. Yeah, it is getting very warm up. Yeah, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. So that's, you know... That's uh, our fourth point. They get back together. Point number five... They go to visit Diane's dad in jail. He's like in the jail yard for his crime of stealing tons of money from old people. Right. So, by the way, the judge that she goes to visit is played by Philip Baker Hall, mm -hmm. who is a magnificent actor. Always wonderful. I love his voice. He also looks like Robert Mueller. And that's all I could think of in the scene. I didn't notice that at all. Oh, it's Robert Mueller. He's investigating financial crimes. Yeah. So, they go to visit. She won't get out of the car. 
So Lloyd himself has to go up, and they're talking, and he explains that he's going to follow her to England. He originally makes it sound like he's not. He's saying, like, look, I had thought about not going. Diane's got a great future ahead of her in England. Maybe she doesn't need any distractions, and she should just be free to do that. And John Mahoney is like, good. That's the right decision. Yeah. And Lloyd says, actually, no, I figured out what I want to do with my life. What I want to do with my life is be with your daughter. I'm really good at it. And John Mahoney's response is, you're not a permanent part of her life. You're a distraction. Yeah. And Lloyd goes, I'm the distraction that's going with her to England, sir. Yeah. Boom. Boom. You've been roasted. Hashtag you've been roasted. Hashtag feminism. (laughs) Is it feminism? I don't know. Uh, Mr. Mom. definitely Definitely a mic drop situation. Yeah. And then he explains that while she's mad right now, there might still be a chance. But then Diane comes and she gives her dad the pen. And says, write to me. Which is what she said to Lloyd when she gave him the pen. But it's also... I don't know. I couldn't decide if it's like a nice callback, like reminding of the conversation or if it's super cutting because it is the like, see you never pen. Yeah, it is a breakup pen. But at the same time, the pen did bring them back together in a way. Like it yeah. wasn't a final break. So I think there's still a chance that the relationship will still hold. Personally. Totally. I mean, Lloyd points out that there was a version of the letter that said like, I'm always going to love you. Yeah. And it's not the one that she gave him. But Lloyd points out to the dad, like, you got to know there's a part of her that wrote that version. And after that, she comes and hugs him. Yeah. Before they leave. And then they get on the plane. Yeah. And they're flying off. She's never been on a plane before. He, no, he has because he lived overseas. Yeah. She's pretty nervous. Isn't there a story of her? The whole story about how she freaked out on a plane when she was a little kid. Yeah. So she's terrified, but he's trying to talk her through it. And then she says, nobody thinks we're going to work, do they? And he yeah. says, you just described every great success story. Oh, uh, And that's the movie. They yeah. end on the plane. They do. We don't know what happens next. No. Nope. It doesn't matter. That was the summer. It's the end. It's the, the ding end. happens. Ding. It ends with a ding. It does end with a ding. Like our show used to before James Bond. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. All right. So what do you think? Is Lloyd's relationship with Diane believable? I think so. I do too. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I uh, think the biggest barrier is the stuff that her dad talks about. Right. But they don't seem to fit together. When he's encouraging her to break up with him, his whole line is like, let's not put our energy into something ridiculous. You know, you have nothing in common. She owes it to herself to get on the plane with no attachments to focus on this incredible future she can have. Right. Where I think that, you know, it is possible to have both. Like, she can have a relationship and still do well. I don't think his objection is entirely to the idea of a relationship. I think Lloyd specifically is a part of it. Not that he dislikes likes Lloyd, but he's very conscious of a difference in ambition that is really present. Right. I will say that Lloyd wouldn't expect Diane to stop working and stay at home with the kids. Clearly. But I think it does make sense, though. They're two high schoolers. Totally. You know, he has the courage to ask her out, and she said yes, so... That's the biggest hurdle, honestly, for their relationship to get started. Because once they're together, they're dating and everything seems to make sense. They're both very happy. I think it's good that she has someone that's not super wound up all the time. Yeah, and it's very high schooly in the, like, nebulous definitions that are part of it all. Oh, yeah. So where would you rate this? I would probably put it... I don't think it's, like, a 10... No, but it's high. But it's high. Maybe an 8 or a 9? Yeah, I'd say 8 or eight or 9, 8.5 kind of region. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's very good. Yeah. And I'm liking it more the more we talk about it. Right. It's definitely not perfect. No. But it's, you know. It's good. It's I good. highly recommend. Yeah. If, you know, this deep cut recommendation coming from us, you know, this little flick. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, this movie. It's called Say Anything dot dot dot. dot. All right. Do you think Lloyd and Diane are dateable? I think more than a lot of people that we discuss in this podcast. For sure. Yeah. I don't know that I would date Lloyd. No. I think that the, like, ambition, sense of place thing would be frustrating for me. But I don't think it makes him undateable. No. I do think Diane is dateable. 100%. She is great. Diane is I love awesome. Diane. I'm a huge fan of Diane. So, yeah. She's smart. She's a go-getter. She's yeah. kind. I think we've both answered the next question, which is who we want to date in this movie. Of course, I want to date Diane. Yeah, John obviously. Mahoney is the best performance, but I do not want to date him. No, he is a white-collar criminal. Right. It's totally Diane. She's the best. Yeah. She's like... One of the most dateable people we've ever covered. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. She's I was no Midge. She's no Midge. Midge Who is our cover photo on Facebook? High... Yeah, I don't I know if you know that. <laughs> she sets an impossibly high bar. But maybe yeah. if Diane were wearing the glasses, mm. or if she had a kick-ass apartment in San Francisco. Oh, Midge. Midge is the best. Midge. All right. Do you think Lloyd and Diane would stay together? Uh, that one's tough. I think it's a no. I think it's a no, and that doesn't diminish my liking of the movie. No. I think that they are very young. Mm -hmm. I think a lot will change in their futures, and I don't know if they'll stay together. When I was an RA, we used to talk about the turkey drop, and that's where our freshmen, because I was a freshman RA, would go home for Thanksgiving and break up with their high school 
significant other. So they would all come back from Thanksgiving really sad. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I could see that happening for them. For now, though, they're a whole lot of fun. I think that about does it, though. Yeah, that does it. I think we've said everything so, about Say Anything. We've said everything about Say Anything. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. All right, next week, we're going to be having a real fun time with a movie that also ties into an upcoming release. Yeah, we're actually having some uh, real strategy with some our scheduling. Some clever scheduling. Yeah. Like the Lawrence Kasdan thing, that was an accident. Yeah, for this sure. This is real. Yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about Ocean's Eleven Ooh. in honor of the upcoming film Ocean's Eight starring Sandra Bullock. Soderbergh. I'm really excited it's about both. I have not re- watched this movie in probably like five or six years. Me neither. I don't know when the last time I saw this it's movie so was. It's probably more than that. Yeah, it's going to be great. For me. So in the meantime, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe and say hey to us on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. Also be sure to keep spreading your hashtag podcast summer stories. Remember, get somebody else to listen to the show, tweet at us about it, and we'll tell your story on the show. Yeah, and you can always email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. All right, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? This is going to be really original, and I don't know if anyone else has really thought about it after watching this movie, but maybe try holding a boombox over your head outside someone's window. I was going to say, call people on the phone. Honestly, that's more of a turnoff in this day. Yeah, that's why nobody, nobody calls on the phone. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. All my